0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Almighty God, you stand alone. Lord, and we need your refreshment this morning. We need to see you more than we need anything else in the whole world. We need you, Lord. We need to meet with you. We need to be strengthened by your grace more than any other need that we have, Lord, is you. I know that's true for me this morning. Lord, you know how familiar I am with my weakness, with my frailty, with my sinfulness. You know how undeserving I am to proclaim your word, But you are God, and these are your people, and you love your people. And so I pray for your namesake, would you strengthen these people who you have bought with your own blood? Would you build them up? Would you increase our faith? Would you make us a faithful people, Lord, who live for your glory and shine so that others might glorify you? I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Uh, you guys can open up to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Daniel chapter 6, we're continuing uh, in our series called Kingdoms Collide that we're six weeks into. uh, And today, we come to one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. And so I'm excited to open it up for us, and I'm excited for us to hear from God this morning. Uh, Before I do, I want to tell you about some old people who've accomplished some extraordinary things. Okay, some old people who've accomplished some extraordinary things. There's Mary Wesley. My girl, Mary, wrote 10 bestsellers after the age of 70. Some extraordinary writing. There's a guy named uh, Harding Gifford, late 1800s. When Harding was 90, Harding wrote a 20-volume encyclopedia. Extraordinary intelligence. Um, let, me, let me introduce you to Falda Singh, or Falja Singh. Can we get Falja up here? Oh, here we go, Falja. This is my main man, Falja. Fauci, when he was 92, ran a marathon in five and a half hours. Okay, and then 10 years later, he ran another marathon in eight hours. Okay, now here's here's my personal favorite, Miss Georgia Hayward, Georgia's great-grandmother. And Miss Georgia, for her 100th birthday, went skydiving. Extraordinary bravery. And then one more, Atlanta woman, Dr. Leela Denmark. Dr. Leela served as a pediatrician until she was 103 years old. Yep, extraordinary service. So we we come to a passage today we're all very familiar with, but what we may not know is this. At the time that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was over 80 years old. And what we're going to see today, we're going to have a front row seat at extraordinary faithfulness in the midst of some serious hostility. Now, let me remind you, the reason Daniel is writing the book of Daniel is to encourage uh, those who are still in exile, to show them what faithfulness looks like. And, and so here's our plan for this morning. We are going to just kind of work through the text. We're going to see extraordinary faithfulness in action. And, then here, and you all know that we live in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. So after we look at the text, we're going to imagine what Daniel might say to us, how, my, how he might Advise us to be faithful in the midst of our own exile. So let's open to Daniel 6 and read. Um, and, And before we do, it's my honor to remind you, my friend, that in your lap is God's Word. And there is nothing better for us than to be addressed by God's Word. It is what we need most. And so many people on planet Earth don't have this honor. So let's hear humbly from the Word of God, starting in verse 1. Okay, so we start right up front. We got a new king on the throne. Darius the Mede is now in charge of the known world. But it's not just a new king, king, it's also a new kingdom. So you remember Matt last week told us how the Medes and the Persians are outside and they attack Belshazzar and the Babylonian kingdom. They overthrow Babylon. And so just like Daniel prophesied or, the, or Nebuchadnezzar's dream actually in chapter two, that's all coming true. And now the Medes and the Persians are in charge and Darius is the new king. And as we know well, coming out of an election year, when there's a change in power, there's often a change in the way that things are done. And that's exactly what's happening here. We've got a major reorganization in the whole kingdom, a whole new structure. Darius doesn't want to lose anything of what he's conquered, and so he sets 120 governors up all throughout the land, and he sets three presidents, or three high officials, over those 120 governors. And what we find is that Daniel is one of these three high officials. Now, think about this for a minute. Medo-Persia comes in and they sack Babylon and they wipe it out, okay, and they set up their own rule. For Daniel even to have survived is a miracle, okay? For him to then go from the Babylonian administration to high up in the Medo-Persian administration is shocking. This is like somebody being Obama's secretary of state and then becoming Donald Trump's vice president. It just shouldn't happen. But at the end of the day, politics didn't matter, and a new kingdom didn't matter. What everybody around Daniel could see is there is an excellent spirit in this guy. He gets the job done. And so he was elevated to one of the top in the kingdom, in fact, the text tells us that Darius planned to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. But as often happens when someone excels, jealousy starts to take root. It's exactly what we see in verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, "We shall not find, or we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God." So these guys want Daniel out, but as they go, they realize it's, it's a little bit easier said than done. They're having trouble digging up dirt on Daniel. Right? There's no tax evasion. There's no shady voting record. There's no questionable relationships. There's no flip-flopping on major, major issues. And i was reading this week, and I'm thinking, man, this is one of the great miracles in the whole Bible we got a squeaky clean politician. <laughs> so they look at Daniel, and all they find is a blameless, above reproach, faithful guy. So they got to get creative. They decide to attack religious liberty, essentially. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed to the king... That the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So the wicked cabinet schemes together and they come to the king. O most honorable king, you alone can make Medo-Persia great again. Is that not funny? Make America great again, John, catch that? No? Okay. I thought I'd definitely get some chuckles there. Because our congregation is less intelligent than I thought. Or that's a worse joke than I thought. One of the two. Okay. So, th- so they come to Darius and they say, Darius, you're worthy I've got an idea. We've all been talking. All of us except Daniel, of course. But That's neither here nor there. We've all been talking, and we think that you alone should be worshipped for 30 days. No other worship in the whole kingdom except to you, Darius. And what they're doing, y'all, is they're just, it's just pure flattery. They're, They're playing on that same thing in Darius that made Nebuchadnezzar look like a fool for seven years and that had the the kingdom ripped out from under Belshazzar's rule, his pride. And Darius likes it, he's enticed by it. But he's not just flattered, here's the other thing he sees. He also sees utility in what they're saying. He's got a brand new kingdom. And maybe he's thinking, man, if I come in hard and I show him who's boss, worship me alone, then then we'll show these Babylonians how Medo-Persia does it. So he signs the injunction. Whoever worships anyone other than Darius for 30 days is thrown to the lions. Now, here's what Daniel's got the old man. He's got a little predicament. Same exact predicament that his best buddies had 60 years earlier. Will he worship God or will he worship the king? Will he obey God or will he obey the king? Is he going to risk his position? Is he going to risk his influence? Is he going to risk his leadership? Is he going to risk his life? Surely he could have a private conversation with the king. He's his right-hand guy. Surely he could just pray quietly for 30 days. What will he do? Verse 10. When. If you're a Bible word circler, you should circle this word when. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Seems that the old man was prepared to make his decision. When the injunction was signed, he goes to a place where he can be seen And three times every day, he bows and prays toward Jerusalem like Solomon had commanded in 1 Kings chapter eight. Why would he do it this way? Publicly, defiantly, unashamedly, why would he do it this way? Well, he'd do it this way because he knew what was at stake. He knew that the first commandment was at stake. There's nothing more important in the Jewish law than this. You shall have no other gods before me. Right, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel knew what was at stake. And so he got down on his knees and he prayed. See, late in his life, as an old man, more important to Daniel than anything else was being faithful to his God. More than he loved his position, more than he loved his leadership, more than he loved his own life, he loved his God. The old man was unashamed. And the evil cabinet knew it. And so, just like they thought, they caught Daniel in the act. And then they ran back to the king. The plans kicking on all cylinders. And they come back to the king, they say, verse 12, O king, you remember the injunction: anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you should be cast in the den of lions. And the king answers, Yes, it stands fast in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And they say, Well, Daniel, the exile from Judah. A little racial, racial attack here. The Jew, he doesn't care about you. No, he doesn't care about you. Three times every day, he rejects you. And when the king heard these words, he was much distressed, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Why was the king so distressed? Well, this was his best guy. This is his right-hand man. These other guys were blinded by their jealousy. They couldn't see that this was his best guy. And so the king is thinking, man, what can I do to save Daniel? What can I do to the end of the day to rescue him? But he knew, man, these laws of the Medes and the Persians, they're irrevocable. And this evil cabinet was happy to remind the king, right? Next verse. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. See, to change the ordinance would go against Medo-Persian law, but here's what else it would do. It would completely undermine the king's leadership, right? He's he's brand new. He's made this global ordinance, and and to go against it would make him look like a fool. So his his hands are tied. Verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The, The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. A little shotgun prayer by the pagan king here. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So down he goes. The harmless, faithful, 80-year-old man into the lion's den. And let me tell you a little bit about a Medo-Persian lion's den. Here's what they would do. They would put these lions in a confined space for days leading up to the execution, so they'd become very, very angry. And they'd feed them scarcely, or they wouldn't feed them at all. Right? So the one commentator says that these lions lived at the gnawing edge of hunger. That's what the 80-year-old Daniel was dropped into. And all night, the king couldn't sleep. Can't eat, doesn't want to drink anything, sleep, fled from him. Why? Well, because no doubt he's plagued with guilt and shame. Guilt because an excellent man is is dying. And, And shame because it was his vanity and it was his foolishness that put Daniel in that position. Okay, also something I want to highlight here. This is very interesting to me. It's also worth noting what the text doesn't say. There's no mention of Daniel's struggle. No mention of Daniel's fear. There's no no mention of Daniel's suffering. He hadn't even spoken a word yet. So we can read into the passage the quiet trust of Daniel. The old man was putting his hope exclusively in God. See how it works out. Verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The, the king declared to Daniel, "O oh Daniel, servant of the living God, "'has your God whom you serve continually "'been able to deliver you from the lions?' Then Daniel says to the king, these are his first and only words in the whole narrative. O oh king, live forever. "'My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. "'They have not harmed me "'because I was found blameless before him. "'And also before you, O oh king, I've done no harm.'" Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him, big verse, because he had trusted in his God. So first in a daylight, the king flies down the stairs like a kid on Christmas morning, only with much different circumstances. And he screams out to Daniel, Daniel, man of God, are you alive? And sure, there's that pause for a moment where the king doesn't know. And then Daniel cries back. Oh, king, my God, he saved me. He shut the mouth of the lions. And there was no harm in me. There was no harm in what I had done. It was right for me to worship the one true God. Turns out the king wasn't the only one fasting that night. Not- thank you, thank you. Here we go. Here we go. Let's practice. Everybody laugh. Go. ha, ha, ha. Good. Okay. We're up for 2. Note to self, eliminate jokes for second service. Okay. Okay. All right. here. There's, there's two things I want you to notice here. Okay. First is this, this, this language, his angel shut the mouths of the lions. All right. It's the same exact language we saw in, uh, chapter three, when God's angel was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. This, this is extraordinary stuff right here. You'll remember Nebuchadnezzar said, there's one in the furnace, or there, there's not three in the furnace, there's another one, there's four, and he has the appearance of one of the sons of God. And Steg did a great job explaining to us that God's angel, or the angel of the Lord, when you see that in the Old Testament, is a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity. So j- just like Jesus himself, 600 years some odd before he came, was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, So he was with Daniel in the lion's den. While Darius the Mede could not sleep, Daniel is having a sleepover with the Savior. Okay? Second thing I want to highlight. The reason why Daniel was delivered, the text tells us, is because he had trusted in his God. We're going to come back to this later, but what we see right away is that the old man was filled with faith. And it was his faith in God that saved his life. And, and this was great news to the king. He was exceedingly glad. Okay, but he was also bent on executing justice. Look at 24. King commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast to the den of the lions. They, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, <clears throat> the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So every one of the wicked cabinet and their families, which was, Uh, along with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, were thrown into the den. And before they even hit the floor of the den, their bodies are torn into pieces. Now, why would the author put that in the passage? Well, to show that these were hungry lions, right? To show the miraculous nature of Daniel's deliverance. Their mouths had been supernaturally shut. And now justice was served along with their dinner. Okay, King... (laughs) <laughs> Good. I'm getting one, two, three louds every once in a while. All right. King had one more order of business, though. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell on the earth, <clears throat> peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's den. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay. Because of old man Daniel's extraordinary faithfulness. When you think about what happens here, a global decree, a global decree goes out. That no longer should people worship Darius, but they should worship the God of Daniel. They should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And Darius throws us some great theology here. He is the eternal God. He is the living God. He is the sovereign God. He is the saving God. This is the God who deserves worship. And friends, it's just like God did with Nebuchadnezzar 60 years earlier. Through the extraordinary faithfulness of some young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a whole kingdom was commanded to worship God. And now, 60 years later, through Daniel's extraordinary faithfulness, a whole kingdom is commanded to worship the God of the Bible, right? It's the same old lesson for a brand new kingdom. There is no God like our God. And when kingdoms collide, God wins. So that's the story. It's one of the best stories in the whole Bible. And it's not just a story, it's history. Okay, this is real stuff. This really happened to a real man in real history. Okay, and we need to remember why it's recorded. It's recorded because Daniel wanted to encourage exiles to remain faithful in the midst of hostility. And so if Daniel were here today, and he looked out at us, and he would observe the American landscape and a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to God, what advice might he give to us? how would he tell us to live faithfully in a culture that's more and more opposed to God? Seven things I think Daniel would tell us this morning. First, I think he'd say this, be prepared. Be prepared. This comes from verses six through nine. Uh, if Daniel were here this morning, I think he'd tell us the same thing that the apostle John wrote around 90 AD. First John chapter three. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Be prepared for hostility. This is normal in the Christian life, okay? But let's let's get real, okay? I love this, y'all. I love when God addresses us by his word. And I just, I pray right now that he would encourage us to real faithfulness. If you're anything like me, as the culture becomes more hostile to God, there's a temptation to want the benefits of Christianity without the cost of it. Okay, to want the blessings of Christianity without meeting any of the demands. To want the promises without the persecution. It's it's easy to want the forgiveness of sins and the peace with God and the purpose in life and meaningful community, but to avoid the suffering and to hate the persecution and to want to avoid being unjustly accused or maliciously targeted. And what I just want to remind us of is, friends, these things are normal in the Christian life, right? We can't be friends with Jesus and friends with the world. Right? It's like playing football and wanting to score touchdowns but not wanting anybody to tackle you. It just doesn't work that way, right? And it's going to work less and less that way as the culture becomes more and more hostile to God. Right? Listen to Jesus' own words, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. We've seen this over and over again in the book of Luke. You guys, faith in Christ is costly. And if they hated our Savior who loved perfectly, loved perfectly, it should not surprise us when we face opposition. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. That's the first thing Daniel would tell us. Second thing I think Daniel would tell us today is be unashamed. Be unashamed. It comes right out of verse verse 10, okay? Look at that word again, when. When the law was passed, Daniel prayed anyway. This was a man who was unashamed of his God. And friends, as our culture grows more and more hostile to God as he really is, to his exclusivity, to his authoritative word, to his design for marriage, to his design for male and female, there is a growing temptation for all of us to cave on truth. There is a growing temptation for us to be ashamed, to act one way around our Christian friends and on Sunday morning, and to act an entirely different way around people at work, or people at the gym, or people at school, or people at the club, But if Daniel were here this morning, he would say, be unashamed. Don't cave. The first commandment is still at stake. And you might say, well, I'm not worshiping another God. You know, Darius had to choose between God or Darius. Or Daniel had to choose between God or Darius. I don't have to make that choice. Well, here's the choice we make, friends. When we act like a chameleon Christian, okay, when we're one way around some people and a different way around other people. What we're essentially doing is worshiping the opinions of other people. Okay, we're saying in that moment that I choose to be different, I choose to be ashamed of God, more important than faithfulness to God is how these people view me. More important than faithfulness to God is what these people think. If Daniel were here, he would say, be unashamed, right? I I talked to somebody a couple days ago whose daughter is at camp right now, not our camp. Thank goodness. Uh, After you hear the story, you'll see why, but... She's at camp, and her roommates moved their beds out of her room because she wouldn't party with them. Okay, now let me just speak to the high schoolers real quick, or college students. When you get left out like that, there's a huge temptation to think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not cool. I don't fit in. You know, this stinks. Friends, let me just commend... Listen... God is pleased with that. He loves that. Friends, when you stand up for the truth of God, when you side with Almighty God, here's what Jesus says. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Don't you want that commendation? Don't you want that? One day, if we lived unashamed, faithful lives, we will get that commendation, and we will be glad that we did. Okay, the third thing Daniel would tell us is this. Be consistent. He'd tell us, be consistent. This also comes from verse 10. Um, notice that when the law is passed, Daniel goes up, he opens his windows, prays toward Jerusalem three, three times a day, and then look at this little phrase. As he had done previously. As he had done previously. This was his custom. This was his way of life. This is what Daniel did. And, and please see this. Daniel's Faithfulness in prosperity prepared him to be faithful in crisis. Okay? Daniel's faithfulness in times of prosperity prepared him to be faithful in crisis. Okay? Now, here's our application. Even though we live in a culture that is growingly hostile to God, we still live in the most comfortable culture in world history. Okay? And it is very easy for us to live for next weekend, to live for the next vacation to live for the next football season, to live for the next cool movie coming out or the next TV series or whatever you look forward to at 9 p.m. when the kids go to sleep. And, and maybe we come to church on Sundays and maybe we pray at mealtime and maybe we pray before bed. But if we're honest, a lot of us wouldn't say, I've got a, I've got a real consistent walk with the Lord. And, and what we do is we expect that when crisis comes, we can just snap in to spiritual maturity. And friends, it just, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, how foolish would it be to send an untrained soldier into battle and expect him to get the job done, right? You don't put an athlete out in practice for years into the championship game and expect him to take the game-winning shot. It's not gonna work out. And it's not much different in the spiritual life. It's our faithfulness, those small daily acts of faithfulness in in normal life that prepare us to be faithful in a major moment. And, And so here's what I would say. Let's be people. Let's be people who fellowship daily with the Lord. Make the worship of God a part of your everyday. Make make the specs a part of your every day and every week. You're in scripture. You're praying to God. You're engaging with people who don't know him. You live your life in community. You're stewarding your time, your talents, and resources for the glory of God. Live that way when times are good, and then you'll be able to stand when times get tough, just like Daniel did. Daniel will hear you tell us, be consistent. Fourth, next thing I think he'd tell us is this, be exclusive, be exclusive, okay? And here's, here's what I mean when I say be exclusive. I need it to be, it's a little bit of a stretch, but you'll see. Daniel would tell us, don't put your hope in anything other than God. Don't put your hope in anything other than God, right? We've got this huge contrast in Daniel chapter six between Daniel and between these accusers, okay? And here's what the accusers are doing. The accusers are working the system, right? They're schmoozing and they're manipulating and they're trying to create and craft their desired outcome by their own skill. But Daniel, on the other hand, is quietly trusting in God, okay? Here's what he could have done. He's second in the kingdom. He could throw his weight around. He could get private meeting with the king, but he didn't do any of that. Just quietly, faithfully, prayerfully. He hopes in God alone, and friends, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to God, there's temptations everywhere for us to hope in things and people other than God. right? And what I mean when I say that is we look to things and people other than God to provide what only God can provide. And the truth is, if we do that, they're going to fail us. And so just by way of self-examination this morning, let's, let's ask ourselves, what are you tempted to hope in other than God? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a bank account? Is it your kids? Is it your education? Is it security or wealth, comfort? Is it a politician? What are you tempted to hope in? If Daniel were here this morning, here's what he'd say. He'd say, don't hope in those things. Enjoy those things when God gives them. Enjoy them. They're gifts from God. But don't put your hope in them. You'd be exclusive. Fifth, be filled with faith. Daniel, if he were here this morning instructing us, he would tell us, church, be filled with faith. And this comes right out of verse 23. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. And this is very interesting stuff. So 1 Chronicles chapter 9, it's a chapter that probably most of y'all skip over. It's mostly genealogy, but first chapter 9 or 1 Chronicles 9 tells us that the reason Israel was sent into exile was because of a breach of faith. But Daniel, on the other hand, the reason that he is delivered from the lions' den. Okay, get this. It is not his high position It is not his hard work. It is not his blameless record. It is not the good things he had done for God previously. The reason that Daniel was delivered was his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It is by faith that he stopped the mouths of lions. And friends, in a culture that's increasingly hostile to God, there's such a temptation to trust just in the things that we see. Isn't there? Right? To... to, disregard the promises of God's word or doubt. Can I really trust that? Why don't I just live for right now instead of hoping in the world to come? Right? Does God really still act in supernatural ways? I I don't know. Maybe not. But friends, please, let's hear this. Faith is still the currency in the kingdom of God. Okay? It is faith that saves us. It is faith that pleases God. It is still faith that moves mountains. And if Daniel were here this morning, he'd tell us, be filled with faith. Be filled with faith in God. Friend, what's one thing you could do this week just to act strictly in faith to God? Is there anything in your life that is only present in your life because you have faith in God? There's no other explanation for it what about this on the flip side? Are there any areas where you're just, man, there's just unbelief there. You're doubting if God will really work in a, a certain situation. Take a minute just to admit before God. Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. Replace that with faith. If Daniel were here this morning, tell us, be filled with faith. Two more. Stay with me. Sixth, if Daniel were here, I think he'd tell us, be expectant. Be expectant. This comes right from Darius's decree in verses 25 through 27, when he commands that the whole world should worship God. Um, Friends, if there was ever a moment that God did immeasurably more than someone could ask or imagine, it was this moment. I mean, hours before, Daniel had prayed his last prayer, and he was thrown into lion's den, and all signs pointed to death. But, hours later, not only is he delivered from the lion's den, but there is a global command that everyone in the Medo-Persian kingdom should worship his God. Wow. Friends, lean in on this. Don't for a minute buy the lie that God cannot use you. Expect God to act. Y'all, this book leads us without excuse. Okay, you might say, well, I'm I'm too young. You know, I'll, I'll wait till I'm later. No, chapters one and chapters three make it clear that being too young is not an excuse for God to use you. Chapter six make it clear that being too old is not an excuse for God to use you, okay? The whole book makes it clear that we can't use race or position or stage of life as an excuse, okay? God can do extraordinary things through your unashamed faithfulness. Expect him to act. And so, friends, what could God do through you Students, as you start a new school year and you commit to worshiping God, what will He do through your faithfulness? What will He do, grandmother, grandfather, with your prayers for your children and your grandchildren and for future generations? What will He do, Dad, as you read the Bible to your family day after day, week after week? What will He do with your giving? What will he do with your service? What will he do with your volunteering at that abortion clinic? What will he do with your willingness to adopt a child who needs a mom and dad? What will he do with you, man, taking that young man who doesn't have a dad out to lunch over and over and over and over again? What will he do when you finally say, I need help. I can't overcome this on my own. What will he do? What kind of strength will he give when you finally resolve to be pure? Who will he cause to know him? Because you are suffering with joy. What could God do through you? Friends, we serve the God who shuts the mouths of lions and causes whole kingdoms to worship him. Be expectant. And then last, and by far my favorite point, if Daniel were here this morning giving us advice, the last thing he would tell us is, don't miss the point he would say, don't miss the point. The most important part about this passage is not the principles it provides, but the person to whom it points, okay? The most important part of this passage is not the principles that it provides, but the person to whom it points. This points to one who is greater than Daniel. It points to the one who was with Daniel in the den. Let me explain. Like Daniel, Jesus left his home and became an exile in a foreign land. He left everything. Like Daniel, Jesus lived a faithful life. He was blameless. He was above reproach, even sinless. Like Daniel, Jesus Christ was unjustly accused, falsely accused. Like Daniel, he was handed over to his enemies. Like Daniel, Jesus was thrown to the lions And here's what I mean by that. In the Old Testament, there's this minor thread in the minor prophets that that refers to God as a roaring lion, okay? And when when it calls God a roaring lion, it's referring to God's wrath and justice towards sin, okay? In the New Testament, we see that the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Well, you'll remember on the night that he was betrayed, Satan himself entered Judas, and Jesus was betrayed. And you'll remember on the cross, that Jesus wasn't just physically suffering, but he was enduring the full wrath of God. Now, why would an innocent man bear the full wrath of God? Why, would, why is that just? Well, friends, it's my joy to remind you of the gospel this morning. It is just because we're the ones who deserved it. We're the ones who deserve to be thrown into the lions. You see, in this story, we are far more like the accusers than we are like Daniel. We're the ones who've offended God and sinned against him. But our God, in love, sent Jesus to the lions, the perfect son of God in our place. Like Daniel, the stone was rolled over the place where Jesus was, and it was sealed. But like Daniel, Jesus came out victoriously. He had left sin and death in the grave. Like Daniel, he arose to the chief place in the kingdom. All things are put under Jesus Christ's feet. He is the ruler of the universe's kingdom and his utmost, its utmost authority. And then, as Darius decreed that the whole kingdom should worship Jesus or should worship Daniel's God, we find in the New Testament, man, the one they're worshiping is Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter two that one day every knee will confess in heaven, or every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If if Daniel were here this morning, he would say, "Don't miss the point. This is about Jesus." And yes. Be prepared. Be unashamed. Be consistent. Be exclusive. Be filled with faith. Be expectant. But before you do anything else, you remember Jesus Christ and you celebrate Jesus Christ and you worship him. So that's what we're going to do now. Um, I'll ask the men to go ahead and come with the communion elements. We're going to stand and sing in a few minutes. But before we do, um, we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup in communion. And um, don't be distracted by the man. I want to address you if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus Christ. Um, I am very, very glad that you're here, but I want to explain what we're doing because um, this can sound a little bit weird, okay? It It can look a little bit weird. We're going to take some juice and some bread and we're going to eat it and we're going to drink it. Now, why are we going to do that? Well, what we're doing is we are remembering, okay, and we're celebrating the historic reality that Jesus Christ came and he died for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. It is only through faith in him that we are forgiven of sins and made right with God. That's what we're doing. We're remembering it in a physical way, okay? So if you're here and you're not a Christian, what we'd ask you to do is just let let the plate pass you, okay? And let it pass you because this, this is not a celebration for you yet. But here's what I'd ask you to do instead. I would ask you to just take some time to consider Jesus who loves you and who left heaven for you and who died on the cross for you and who rose from the dead for you and who now lives and reigns and offers you the free gift of forgiveness of sins, of peace with God. And if you want that gift, what you do is you just believe that what he did, he did for you. Okay. So you take time to consider him. And then Christian, uh, we want to remember and we want to celebrate. So think about Jesus Think about who he is. Think about what he's done. Think about how he has rescued us from the mouths of lions. And then take communion when you're ready and stand and worship with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are awesome. You are faithful. You are the God who delivers. It's like Darius said, you are the living God. You're the eternal God. You're the sovereign God. You're the saving God. And we believe that. And our hope is in you this morning. Uh, Our hope is not in ourselves And so I pray that you would help us by your spirit to be faithful like Daniel. And I pray that you'd help us now to worship you in Christ's name, amen.